0: Hey guys, welcome back. It's been a minute since we've recorded.
1: Yeah, I got, well first there was Christmas, then I got new glasses and I couldn't see for like a week. And then I got COVID, so.
0: Yeah, that's terrible. And I mean, I was busy too. Like it's just, this time of year is always rough. But I'm glad you're better. How are your eyes doing? Um,
1: I still feel like it's not 100%, but my eye doctor told me it would take like three weeks because I guess... Basically, my left eye was super under prescribed for like two years. And so it started to, it didn't get like lazy exactly, but it started to lose strength. Um, so it's taking a while for my brain to realize that I'm seeing through two eyes and not one, like it doesn't want to do like depth perception. So if I'm ever looking at something with one eye, it's really clear, but it's just like, if I'm trying to use both, sometimes things get wonky. So
0: that's such a struggle.
1: Yeah, I know. It's unfortunate. I don't know why I have these eyes. I know, like, a lot (laughs) of people in our family have bad eyes, but I feel like I really got the short end of the stick.
0: (laughs) really did get the short end of the stick, but at least you can still read, because if you couldn't read, I just don't know what you would do.
1: Yeah, I don't know. At least, like, I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm, like, stressed about going blind eventually. Uh, (laughs) it's, uh... I'm trying to tell myself, like, at least there are audiobooks these days. It's a better time than ever to be blind. But
0: um... <laughs> Well, yeah, there's audiobooks. And also, medicine and technology is, you know, always changing and getting better. So hopefully, if you would ever go blind by that point, there's something that can really help you. So
1: Yeah, I think that it's interesting because these days like nearly everybody is myopic not everybody but like more and more people are becoming myopic or nearsighted and i think a lot of that is like i mean i, I there are, people don't exactly know why actually um because it's not it doesn't seem like it's just because we're looking at say screens or something more though that probably contributes but
0: yeah i'm sure it doesn't help
1: yeah but it's interesting like it's sort of a big a big health problem uh So hopefully it gets more attention, I guess is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, hopefully. And more exciting news. We booked our flights to London last night. We did. I'm so pumped. I can't wait. I was thinking about it on my run this morning. Just like how crazy it's going to be and then I was thinking I'm like oh my gosh I'm going to have to get like a phone plan or something I don't even know but side note you want to know something I just checked our email which guys just as a friendly reminder you can email us at philosophicalpodcast at gmail.com if you have any feedback or want us to review something or just anything but we got a notification that our podcast is doing really well in France
1: (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) Let's go.
0: Yeah, I think that's so funny. What's up everyone from France? (laughs) Oh yeah, aren't you pretty good at French or something?
1: I I you know, I got the French award from my high school. Uh not to flex or anything. But
0: you can flex. That is so funny. I got the French award. I
1: I can't I can't speak a like Je ne parle pas français. (laughs) I can't speak like a French anymore. But um I like but that said because french was the first second language i learned whenever i learn a new language i speak with a french accent like interesting whenever i do german ends i speak with a french accent and now i'm teaching myself ancient greek and i've been doing that for since new years it was my new year's resolution and really i've been spending like four to five hours every day doing it so i'm actually oh my goodness but anyway i always like find myself speaking ancient greek with a french accent. I don't
0: know. <laughs> I'm sure that's interesting. <laughs> Crazy though because I took like 8 years of spanish, like 4 years in high school and then another 4 years in college and I know nothing. Like truly. It's insane how if you don't use it you really do lose it. And so it's kind of sad. It's like man, I should have really like tried harder but anyway, I thought that was pretty cool. And also uh, my friend was like, hey, are you guys like putting out another episode soon? Like we want to hear it. So shout out to you guys because I just love it. I love the support. Um, and yeah, it's just fun.
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I didn't necessarily expect anyone to listen.
0: <laughs> I know. Same. <laughs> so We're glad you're here. <laughs> anyway, what are we doing today? I don't even think I know. It's going to be a surprise
1: um so yeah so i mean it's been like a month we we stopped uh by you know going through basically the beginning of plato's dialogue on friendship the lysis uh so i wanted to continue going through that today Uh, cool i had initially planned to finish it but that's just not gonna happen my my docket is twelve pages and that's longer than they usually are. Oh my but goodness. We're not finishing it today.
0: <laughs> yeah. But,
1: um we will definitely be able to finish it next time. Um sounds good. So I do want to give since you know it's been like a month, and I guess this is more for your sake, Amanda, because anybody listening to the episodes will be like, What the heck? It's one after the other. But for us it's been a month. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And we all know I can't remember what happened to me like an hour ago. So, you know, we definitely need a refresher.
1: Yeah. Um, so Socrates are, you know, sort of protagonist in a way, the the sort of, you know, not necessarily the mouthpiece of Plato, but, you know, he's the guy we root for. So he was, you know, on his way to some place. I can't remember where. I think either two or from the Lyceum. Anyway, but he was asked by these two teens, Hippothales and Tisepis. Uh, to show them like how a boy ought to talk to his boyfriend, so you know, hippothales has a big crush on another boy named Lysis, Lysis, Lysis. I don't know. So they hatched a plan to talk to Lysis by talking to his best friend Menoxenus, who just so happens to be Teseppus' nephew. Lots of Greek names, but it's fine. Uh, Socrates began by talking to Lysis and Menoxenus about friendship, uh, but the latter, Menoxenus, had to leave early, so Socrates was like, "Okay, I'll take this opportunity." to show uh hippothales how one ought to talk to their boyfriend and so he sort of i don't know if you remember but he he kind of investigates the relationship between a parent's love and their are wanting their their kid to be like happy or like live a full life and
0: um... yeah i do remember that because i think like i resonated with that because the question is i remember feeling like it is a valid question you know you assume that you the first priority is your kid always being happy but It's like not necessarily.
1: Right. Yeah. It's not necessarily like, you know, I feel like that's almost like a bonus. And I mean, it is important, but I think Socrates was also trying to put Lysus down, you know? Yeah. If you remember, he was like, this is how you, (laughs) this is how you got to talk to someone you're into. You got to put him down. Okay.
0: Socrates. (laughs) You know what? Yeah. Listen, listen, some, some men I think are following that lead. I'll just tell (laughs) you.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) And it's not effective for the record.
1: It's not effective.
0: Uh, no. no, I, I mean, feel
1: like gay men, in my experience, are are less into that. But I mean, I don't know. I don't want to generalize too much. It's not like I'm some. I've I haven't been around many blocks, you know.
0: I haven't been around many blocks. <laughs> I don't know. I think I definitely putting like putting someone down in general. I just I well, you know what. I'm going to go off on a tangent here. So I'm just going to say one sentence about it. But I think that it just depends on the person that you're speaking with, because if unfortunately you're someone who doesn't have a lot of confidence and self-worth, then that might work because they might be feeling like, yeah, you're right. I am. I am these things. But for somebody who is confident and aware of their self-worth, I don't think that would be an effective way to show your liking for somebody.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Don't be mean.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um...
1: <laughs> So we finished <laughs> just when Menexenus was returning to the discussion. So he was sort of like carried away by his trainer. Socrates talked to Lysis, and then Menexenus returns. And uh, just a reminder, Menexenus is friends with Lysus, and Lysis is the, the object of Hippothales' crush. So Menexenus, Lysus friends. And once Menexenus returns... Lysus asks Socrates to tell him about the discussion they had just had, but Socrates is like, no, no, like, you can do that. Um, and Lysis is unsatisfied, and he still wants Socrates to have some sort of discussion with Manoxenus and Socrates. Uh, and, you know, not want to turn down an invite for a conversation, Socrates happily obliges. Um, so their discussion begins in a rather remarkable way. Socrates says that ever since he was a kid, he always had wanted a friend. And... On the one hand, we should take note of the fact that Socrates compares this desire for a friend to the sort of aspiration one has towards things like wealth, happiness, prosperity. He's sort of like, you know, some kids want this. Some people like have always wanted this. Me, I've always wanted a friend. And I just think that this sort of position of friendship and Socrates' priorities is interesting, because I think it's easy to take friends for granted, especially when you make them easily. And I think both of us have been blessed to have an easy time making friends. Um, But Socrates is comparing them to some of life's most like sought after things. And so I just think it's important to to take note like of just how important friendship is for Socrates. And on the other hand, I think like anyone who's familiar with Plato's dialogues might be surprised that Socrates would say such a thing, because they'd probably conclude without much reticence that Socrates has a number of friends. While he was waiting for his execution, for instance, Socrates was famously executed. Um so while he was waiting for casual a- <laughs> Well, actually he wasn't really executed. He was condemned to execution and he committed suicide by drinking hemlock poison. So you might ever you might every once in a while hear the phrase, you know, oh, drink the hemlock, now that you probably have heard it before, <laughs> didn't really register it, but now that maybe you might notice when someone else says it. Um and you know, anyway so that's a that's a that's a reference to socrates and and so when socrates was waiting for his execution uh crito I, i'm pretty sure i could be wrong with that because i didn't double check but this is just my memory crito uh, came to visit socrates while he was on death row and he let him know that like a number of his seeming friends were willing to like pay an extreme amount of money to have people like you know to basically bribe the the prison to like let him go or the guards to let him go he's not in an actual prison but um or they offered to like you know smuggle him out and like you know he could go live in some other city and I guess that was sort of common and like even to be expected for people who had friends in high places awaiting execution like if you were really well connected you usually didn't actually get executed is that's like sort of the feeling I get from that I don't know how true that is though but you know, Crito was sort of surprised that Socrates wouldn't go with this. He's like, come on, Socrates, like anyone, anyone would do this in your position. But Socrates is like, no, no, I'm not going I'm not going to do that. But anyway, the point is that uh, these people like certainly seem to be like his friends. And he's he always seems to have allies at the very least. And he's on good terms with many recurring figures in the dialogues. So I would have been quick to call many of them his friends if he hadn't said here that he's always wanted, more than anything else, to have a friend, and that he's, and I quote, so far from having the possession that he doesn't even know how one person becomes the friend of another. So in here we see that Socrates doesn't think he has any friends, kind of, I don't know if it's necessarily because, but we also see that he isn't sure what a friend is. Um, So maybe it's like the reverse, maybe like, at least the reverse is how Socrates is setting up the discussion. But anyway, Socrates often likes to ask like alleged experts of topics what it is uh, that they're experts of. Or he likes to ask them about what they're the experts of. And some people interpret this as a sort of irony, as if Socrates is pretending not to know about such things as, like say, friendship, for instance, and really does. But I like to read Socrates as being in earnest. Uh, shout out to Professor Agnes Callard at the University of Chicago. I never had a class with her. But I think many, many people interpret Uh, Plato and Socrates, ironically. And I think that uh, there's sort of this idea that this is a way of avoiding sort of the difficulty of a lot of issues by casting it away as, like, ironic. You can sort of avoid interpreting. So whether or not Socrates is being ironic in these situations where he's asking people that are, like, seeming experts, uh, I like to read him as being an earnest. So anyway, Socrates is going to be... saying that, like, since Lysis and Manoxenus are so experienced in the matter of friendship, they're sort of experts, given that they're such good friends, he wants them to teach him what a friend is. And in particular, he wants them to give an account of what friendship is. And this is, um, you know, the famous, like, so-called what is it question. And Socrates is, you know, always asking, like, you know, what is friendship? Like, you're an expert on friendship. What is friendship? Or like, what is knowledge? Uh, what is virtue? What is courage? He's always asking these sorts of questions. And I think that these questions are, on the one hand, they seem simple. They seem easy. They they don't even seem that deep. Like, everybody knows what a friend is. Everybody knows what courage is. And But I think when you ask that question seriously and like really wanna get down to investigating it, it's almost like precisely because that it's so familiar to us that it's so difficult to like pin these things down. And so I think-
0: Well, absolutely. And it's so hard to like explain these things without using the word and the definition. Like if you try to say like, what is friendship? It's so hard to be like, well, it's a friend. Like, you know, you wanna <laughs> just say like right. what it is because it's so universally known or, you know it's assumed to be known.
1: Right. And I think like there's a lot of, especially in recent philosophy, criticism of this approach and like maybe these things aren't the sorts of things that you can give an account of that's going to like satisfy everything. Like Wittgenstein famously thinks like this sort of endeavor is um, not necessarily impossible, but doesn't look like the way that Plato thinks it will look like. But anyway... Um, And I and I think that there's some intuitive appeal to thinking that this sort of question ought not be asked. Like, because like it almost feels impossible to try to answer these. And to be fair, usually platonic dialogues don't end in an answer. Usually they end in aporia or like mystery of some sort or Socrates will say some myth and it's very confusing at the end. But uh, I think,
0: too, like it's like it's so relative because a friend could be totally different for each person, you know, like what a friend means to me could be totally different than what it means to you. So I think that's also another reason. It's probably just, it's so hard to explain.
1: Yeah. And I think Plato wants to say that ultimately there are maybe certain things about friendship that are relative, but that still there's something that a friend is. And like it's sort of like what a dog is is not relative and i think plato will say the same thing about what a friend is and i think that that's like a a bold take <laughs> i yeah. you know like it and so that's sort of and i think like this idea that you know people have different understandings of different things is uh, sort of a critique of platonism that emerges um you know much later on but plato almost is like i don't want to say he's naive but I think Plato assumes that, like, well, if you know what a friend is, then and like we can talk about what a friend is, like we ought there ought to be something that a friend is like a friend is something. Right. And before proceeding, um, I do want to note something fairly important about the ancient Greek word for friendship, which is philia. Um, Since some of the arguments really won't make sense in English alone. And you'll hear me talking about love a lot. And it might be it might seem weird, like, although, like, of course, we love our friends in Greek. The connection is a lot, you know, I think clearer. So the Greek word philia is very closely related to the Greek word for to love, which is philo. So friend friendship is philia and love to love. The verb is philo. So friendship is kind of like the noun version of love, really. And philos is it means two things. Philos means both someone loved and a friend. So, like, if you're my friend, that's the same as saying you're someone loved. There's they don't use two different words for this. Um, so we don't have to worry too much about like the intric- intricacies of ancient Greek. But like, it is important to note that the Greek word for friend like just is the same as the Greek word for someone loved, and that. Uh, I do want to just say the difference for what it's worth is that when the word is masculine or feminine usually refers to like a particular friend, but when the word is neuter, it usually refers to like the object of love in general, or like I'll say the one loved sometimes, sometimes I'll say beloved. So uh, this point will definitely be important, especially in like the first half of our discussion. And um, we're going to be juggling the word love a lot, so get ready. Socrates first considers a situation in which one person loves another. So whether or not the one who is loved loves the lover in return isn't decided here. So he wants to know which of the two becomes the friend of the other. In other words, is it the one who loves who's the friend of the one loved, or is it the one loved who is the friend of the one who loves? So, <laughs> like I was saying, we're going to be juggling the word love a lot. So basically um i think i'm using using you and karina throughout this to like sort of tease this apart because like he's just talking about like loved lover like etc so i want to i want to use some concrete examples to make it clear so i'm gonna imagine you and an imaginary person karina i'm pretty sure you don't have (laughs) karina so (laughs) no
0: i don't know a karina but i like the name
1: so like imagine that you love karina okay um and now we want to know, Socrates is asking in a sort of naive way, I think, like, which of you is the friend? Are, are you the friend of Karina or is Karina the friend of you?
0: I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're we're really friends. I didn't say that.
1: Manoxenus says he sees no difference. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, we're like, just friends. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, so Manoxenus is like, you know, when one person loves another, they're friends of each other. Socrates makes quick work of this answer, and he points out that sometimes when one person loves another, the one who is loved hates the one who loves them. So maybe Karina hates you and you love Karina. So he <laughs> asked Manoxenus which of the two is the friend of the other in this circumstance, and Manoxenus replies that neither of them is really the friend of the other. And it would be like it would be weird to be the friend of someone you hate, and it would also be weird to have a friend that hates you. Right. Uh, so now, according to Manoxenus, two people are only friends if they love each other. So whereas at first it seemed like they're friends if one of them loves the other now it seems like they can only be friends if they love each other right um but and this is a weird argument in english to be completely honest so this is why i had that greek note socrates points out that his current position would imply that there are no horse lovers or wine lovers unless the horse or wine love them in return and i think that basically the greeks probably this is, I'm, I'm guessing here, probably use the same sort of term for someone who loves things and someone who is a friend of those things. So maybe we could like also translate a wine lover as, you know, sometimes we might be like, oh, you're a friend of like a friend of wine or a wine friend. Or like, I think sometimes we really say things like playfully, like, oh, you know, that Jane is a real friend of the glass. <laughs> like, anyway, <laughs> this is problematic because a very popular and respected poet in Athens named Solon, Um, and I want to take a, take an aside here to note that, uh, Socrates is going to be considering the wisdom of Solon, uh, Homer and Hesiod in this dialogue. And that's really important because Solon, Homer and Hesiod, I think could honestly be seen as like the, the Trinity of education in ancient Greek, like what it was to be educated, what it was to know things was to study those poets and like, their sort of wisdom was like used in like legal arguments. Like you, it was, it was very serious. So Socrates is going to be taking guidance from them and sort of showing that they, first of all, they all disagree on friendship. So that makes it hard to like take them super seriously or like at least it shows that there's some sort of problem. And um, he's going to sort of dismantle what they say one by one. Um, And so Solon, once said that the man with children and horses as friends is happy, and such words of wisdom were you know seriously respected, and basically, like Socrates is asking Manoxenus whether or not he's willing to reject the received wisdom here because Socrates thinks it's obvious that something like a horse isn't really capable of loving in return. I think this is objectionable today. The Greeks thought about animals differently, but Socrates thinks the point would also stand for something like wine, uh, which some people love, but which is obviously incapable of returning the love.
0: Um, But I'm confused because we also wouldn't say that we're friends with wine just because we love wine.
1: Right. Right. And I think that the difference though is that remember that we wouldn't say that and that's why I wanted to give this point about the ancient Greek because like they would like it. it's the same word for them like if you love wine like remember that love and like friendship are kind of the same word got it so maybe if we don't want to make this point about friends if maybe because I don't want to just say like oh it's just a point in ancient Greek because then it feels like it doesn't mean anything for us so maybe the way to think about it is like think about the love you have for people um we it's kind of interesting. And I think Plato is, you know, exactly the sort of person to point this out. We use the same word for when we love someone and when we love wine. Yeah. And that's confusing. Cause I think if you ask anyone, it seems like, well, they're totally different, but yet we use the same word. And like, so maybe there are differences in the love that you have for, uh, you know, your family and the love you have for wine, but, We still use the same word, and I think Plato is like, "That's remarkable. What's going on with that? Why? Like, what's going on with love here?" So, I think that even if we don't necessarily think we'd be friends with wine, because that doesn't like this is (laughs) this doesn't make any sense, but we we at least might say, "I love wine," Um, and sort of thinking about what that means, because it you know it's not it doesn't seem like it's the same, but we still use the word love. We we do love wine. so Menexenus, though he's not prepared to reject the received wisdom, and so their new position is the one is that the one who is loved is a friend to the one who loves them. So, in this case, Carina would be your friend because you love Carina. Right. So Socrates gives the example of an infant, which he thinks is too young to really properly love. This is a funny take. He says an infant is too young to really love. But it's not too young to hate.
0: <laughs> um, what?
1: And I, I don't know why he says that, but I think it's funny. So, but let's just, let's just go with it here. So he says, in this case, even when the baby hates their parents, the baby's still the dearest friend of the parents. So in this case, the one who is loved is a friend, not necessarily the one who loves. And like I was saying, like, Karina would be your friend, but you're not Karina's friend. Karina's the loved, you're the hated. So, Socrates makes the point, though, that in such a relationship, you would be the enemy, and Karina is not. So when you love Karina and she hates you, you're the enemy, and Karina is the friend. But if we accept this, Socrates points out that Karina would be loved by her enemy, since you are her enemy and you love her, and you would be hated by your friend, since Karina is your friend and she also hates you. So. Socrates thinks there's something seriously wrong with saying that it's possible to be an enemy to one's friend and a friend to one enemy. So, let's take stock of where we've been, because things are getting a little hairy. (laughs) Socrates started off by considering what happens when one person loves another. He wants to know whether this is enough for the two to be friends. They decided first that this is enough, but rejected that. Then they decided that both had to love each other to be friends, but decided against that too, since one can be a wine lover without having the love of the wine returned. Then they decided that if it's not both, then maybe it is the one who is loved who is the friend. But they rejected this as well for the reasons we just went over. Now the natural next state of affairs to consider is the one in which the lover is the friend. And in this situation, you would be Karina's friend insofar as you love her. But since Karina hates you, this would make you either a friend and an enemy at the same time, or the friend of an enemy, since either you or Karina is the enemy in this situation. But neither of these would really be acceptable. Thus it seems like The friends are not the ones who are loved, the ones who love, or the ones who love and are loved. So we can see why Socrates doesn't really think he had any friends. It seems like we're out of options. So since they got stuck, they decide that maybe they've been going about the inquiry in the wrong way. And so some sort of problem occurred down the line, if we want anyone to be friends at all. Lysis, perhaps unintentionally, chimes in that he agrees that they went about the question in the wrong way. That maybe the way to figure out what a friend is can't be decided by considering the lover and the loved relationship alone in other words that loving is not enough to constitute friends so i think that that's like what i take away from this first argument that love alone not enough for friendship or at least like you can't understand friendship through love alone
0: so, right i would agree yeah it's so much more than that
1: yeah Um, and so Socrates decides to give Menexenus a break and to continue by discussing friendship with Lysis, since he seems so eager to join. Um, so instead of considering the lover and the beloved relationship, Socrates takes another starting point from Homer, his epic The Odyssey. The saying is simply, God always draws like unto like. So here we're going to be kind of discussing like the, you know, the two pedes in a pod, or like the birds of a feather flock together sort of received wisdom, like this sort of idea that people who are alike, who are, alike are friends. So whereas before Socrates is trying to understand what friendship is by considering the relationship between friends as such, now it seems like he's going to try to understand friendship by considering something like the relationship between the friends, not necessarily insofar as they are friends, but insofar as they are more or less like each other.
0: Hey, can I uh, say something? So this is interesting. And I, I almost want to say like my perspective before you go. So I can kind of, we can see yeah, how it yeah. relates or if at all. But I've always, I've thought about this a lot lately because I have friends that are very similar to me. And I also have friends that are very different than me. And we don't, the friendship level, if you will, is like the same. Like I'm not closer with one or not as close with the other. Um, and I think what I've decided is that it's kind of like, what your moral compass is and your values. And if like those align, then the other outliers, like the other things, like what you're interested in, you know, aren't as important. Like if we both agree that, I always go back to like the sky is blue example and like say the sky is like something, I don't know. I don't, I like getting into all the serious stuff, but you know, you agree that like what's good is good and what's wrong is wrong. What's right is right. Then the rest of it, like whether I like soccer and you like basketball is not exactly relevant.
1: That's really, really interesting. Um, I don't necessarily... I want you to see for yourself how Plato thinks about that. Uh,
0: Yeah.
1: And then... uh, Yeah, no, I I, I think that that's really good. Um, And I think that that's ultimately the sort of thing that we'll get into during the next episode, because that's sort of like, I think, the idea that Plato comes to at the end of the dialogue. Um, And... But for now, like, I think, yeah, he wants to, he wants to dismantle this idea that people who are like are friends. Right. Um, And so I think sometimes when I think Socrates and Plato can be super fun for me, because sometimes I'm like, yeah, I do disagree with that. And I want to see how Socrates tackles it, because Plato's so, like, good at, like, dismantling things. So, like, like, I just want to, you know, I'm in for the ride almost. (laughs) So, so, yeah. He asks Lysus whether he thinks the claim that like you know friends who are people who are like are friends and Lysus isn't sure And Socrates isn't sure either because he doesn't understand the notion at all For he says as far as he is concerned the closer a bad person comes to a bad person The more he becomes their enemy Since wicked people as wicked people do others injustice and nobody would want to be the friend of someone who does them injustice so this is going to be kind of a point that Socrates and Plato are going to repeat a lot and I think that it's interesting sort of saying what you're saying because I think With what you were saying if two people Are evil Then they ought to be like friends if they have like the same evilness But I think Socrates wants to say that two evil people can't really be friends Because they might like incidentally get along sometimes but like they're not going to form like like they will inevitably harm each other in a right. way you know, they're not okay with, and that's because they're evil. If they never harmed each other, they wouldn't be evil. So, like insofar as they're evil, like they're not going to be friends for for a long time, or at least like they won't have any real like lasting friendship. They might get along, they might have like similar goals, but uh, you know, evil people aren't really able to be friends. And so Socrates is like, so this like and like shouldn't really make sense at first, because we would say that these two evil people maybe are evil in the same way. They're definitely alike. But because they're evil, they can't be friends. So like, it can't just be that people who are alike must be friends. So Socrates concludes that maybe the saying, because he's trying to give Homer some credit here, maybe the saying that those who are alike must always be friends is really only saying that those who are good are like each other and friends well, those who are bad are never alike at all, not even to themselves. And I think this is like a sort of interpretive, interesting idea that, and really I think it's a deep point and I don't want to dwell on it too much, but Socrates is saying here that those who are evil aren't like each other at all, or even they're not like themselves. And this is sort of, we we can see this idea that comes up over and over again in Plato that something that is good is sort of organized structured stable ordered lasting something that is bad is like chaotic it like is like shifting all the time like it's unpredictable it can't be trusted and i think maybe this idea of trust can make this make a little bit of sense like if someone's untrustworthy they're not even really like they don't even stick to what their own principles are like they don't (laughs) they're they're impossible to predict so If two people are like that, if two people are untrustworthy and shifting, then, you know, they can't really even be said to be like each other, because they're not even like themselves, like there's nothing stable about them to resemble the other person.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting, because like, it almost makes your brain like it makes me feel like you don't know anything in the world. Because if you're right, like if somebody's untrustworthy, by definition, you have absolutely no idea what to ever expect from them. Like, you, don't, you wouldn't even know how to describe them because what they do is could be a lie. <laughs> so it's like, right. you wouldn't even... Oh my gosh, you could go in circles forever.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so like Socrates says, and here's a little quote, he says, when something is not even like itself and is inconsistent with itself, it can hardly be said to be like something else and a friend to it. So now Socrates and Lysas are gonna you know, conclude that maybe it's only those who are good people that are friends. And unless they're always friends with others who are, uh, or rather, good people are always friends with those who are good. And bad people are neither friends with those who are good, nor those who are bad. So things seem pretty conclusive. And at first they're like, yay, we've done it. Good people are friends with each other because they're good. They resemble each other in their goodness. But Socrates is worried. And this worry, I find it sort of, um, it's interesting because I, you know, I think the, the moralist in me is inclined to disagree with this objection because it's sort of utilitarian in a way, but um, I do think that it's interesting. So, Socrates notes that when two people are good, you know, he wants to ask, how can they give each other anything that they couldn't give themselves? Um, put another way, if someone really is good, then they have no need for anyone else and even another good person cannot give them anything good because the good person already has it. So you might be, you might be friends with someone because they make you into a good person, but if you're already a good person, you wouldn't need a friend. And in general, the person who's needy and requires assistance from others probably isn't good. They're not like doing the best. And this actually takes us back to our previous episode where, you know, the child, for instance, we were saying isn't really good yet because they're not totally self-sufficient. Like they're not their own person yet. So whether or not like the parent isn't really interested in them being like good yet, like they're they have other concerns. So the good person, there's this idea that the good person can take care of themselves. They're self-sufficient. They in you know the slimy ancient Greek way, they're not slavish, as like the Greeks will say. Um, So, if the good person is self-sufficient, how can a friend benefit them? And Socrates' worry here isn't just that the good person has no need of a friend, but that in a real way, the good person cannot possibly be benefited by having a friend. And Socrates wants to say that we prize that which benefits us, and and therefore the good person cannot prize a friend. But it seems like a friend, a good friend especially, must be prized most of all. So, as Socrates puts it, then how in the world are the good going to be friends to the good? They don't yearn for one another one apart because even then they are self-sufficient and when together, they have no need of one another. Is there any way that people like this can possibly value each other? And I think the seriousness of this objection really makes a lot of sense when you remember where this particular line of the discussion began. So, it began by considering whether or not people who are alike are friends insofar as they are alike. So here, I don't think Socrates is just saying that two good people can't be good insofar as they are alike, or they can't be friends insofar as they are alike, um, but rather like that this is precisely the way in which like good people wouldn't need each other. So, the two good people like can be good, and they can be friends, like you know, in general. But insofar as they're alike, insofar as they're both good, that's precisely the way that they wouldn't need each other or wouldn't prize each other as something beneficial to them.
0: So, so I guess that goes back to what would you you know, decide as a friend? Because I don't think that I need my friends. I would survive without them. Not as well. <laughs> I would be devastated. But I would survive. Um, but I do definitely like value my friends and i like to think think that me and my friends are good people
1: (laughs) i think you need your friends in a few different ways i think you might plato and i think plato might want to say like in order to be what you are or in order to be like your best self in order to be like a a happy functioning person you need your friends like you might survive without your friends but like you would Be a lesser version of yourself.
0: Oh, for sure. That's what I said. Like I would survive, like not well. Yeah. (laughs) Like I hundred percent. I need my friends to survive, or I need my friends to be the human that I am. I think because I, you're right. Like I wouldn't be who I am without having the support and care of my friends.
1: Right, and I think that's sort of the point. So you'd have like you know a little death without your friends. Like your body would function, but your soul might not. In a way, correct. Plato might put it. Correct. Soul is like I think more important to what you are than your body is what what, you know, a Plato idea, um, not everybody agrees with that. But um, I think that th- this is what I was saying, like the moralist in me is attempted to be like, this objection doesn't matter, because like, you know, it doesn't matter whether your friends benefit you. But I think maybe Socrates is saying that something that makes a friend a friend is that your friend, like needs to benefit you in some way, if, if they don't benefit you at all, then they can't really be said to be your friend and
0: are we talking about benefiting though like i think my friends benefit me in so many ways i could sit here and list mm-hmm. a bunch of ways that my friends benefit me um but does he mean like directly because like, i feel like the benefits that they like they don't give me things like they don't give me physical things yeah, you know man. like you can't he see it like that okay um,
1: i think it could be like benefit you by making you a better person by and like by making, not just like a better person like morally, like you know, but also like a happier person, a more complete person. It could be benefiting you in the way that like, they simply give you pleasure. And I don't think he wants to say that your friends always have to give you pleasure, and as soon as they don't give you pleasure, they're not your friends anymore. But I do think ultimately, if a friend is not ever making you happy, Like, can they really be said to be a friend? And I think people end up in friendships that are like this or like relationships that are like this, where they're sort of both committed to each other, but neither of them make each other happy anymore. And it can be tough to sort of go back on your commitments and like to like, let a friend go. But I think that's like the friendship's already over. Like if, so we do, I think there is an idea that like your friends in order to really be your friends and not just like nominally, not just by name, they like should make you happier they should give you maybe some pleasure sometimes they should make you a a happier person they should uh like you know you should also like want to see them and i think socrates is saying that we really only look forward to things or desire things that in some sense benefit us or that this relationship between desire and beneficiality is crucial and if you never want to see your friend then again like maybe you call them your friend because they've been your friend for a while but if you never want to see them again like they're probably not really your friend
0: um i totally agree again
1: but you'd have to wait until you want to see them again
0: (laughs) right (laughs) you know it's, it's very good point and i think it's so true like what you were saying about even just like relationships, I've been thinking a lot lately about how romantic relationships and just friendships, they're all very similar, like, obviously, minus the intimacy portion physically, like, relationships are just relationships in general. And I think that we we oftentimes forget that I I've been preaching a lot about like, with all my dating and everything, like, some people just aren't compatible, you know, you could have love for somebody, you could care about them a lot, but you're just not, you know, compatible. And I think the same goes to say for friendships, you know, sometimes your friendship is just not you're, you're not in the same place. And friendship breakups are hard, you know? Like, I mean, I've been through one recently and it's it's not easy and it's it feels a lot like a breakup, <laughs> you know, with like a romantic partner. Yeah. Um, But yeah, if it's not benefiting you anymore, if, and especially if it's bringing you harm, it's just not, it's not worth it.
1: Right. And I think what you're saying about relationships is really interesting. And this is like, sometimes you can, I, I like ancient Greek, the language, because I think they... They spoke about things in just like a a different way, and one of the one of an example of that is that they use the word love for friend, or Mm -hmm. like they don't they don't necessarily make all these distinctions that like we that we like to make, and like maybe they it's hard to say how they, they they probably think about these things differently, but still it's the same word. Like these things are are more related maybe, whereas we sometimes I think can think like well there's friendships and then there's like romantic relationships, and these are two completely different things. Whereas like you know obviously like you were saying like. They are maybe they're different, but they're also very very related or like kind of the same connection.
0: right it's very similar I tell we my friend group like we tell each other we love each other all the time. like we're always just like love you like you know because it's just it's true like we I love them probably more than most people you know like right. I mean and when you think about it even when you get into like a romantic relationship, you had these friends like I've had these friends for 10 plus years. So obviously I just you know them better like I it's a different yeah, sure it's a different kind of love, but it's definitely still love.
1: Right. And I think there's a similar point to be made about family love that that, it's a similar it's a similar sort of thing. So they're a little different, but they're also so similar. Yeah, I think it's like, if you want to distinguish them, you sort of have to think about it. Like, I think a lot of the time, the distinction, like, isn't something that's like readily apparent, like you can tell the difference between a piece of bread and a book immediately. It's Mm -hmm. harder to tell the difference. Like, I think you really have to reflect more to tell the difference between like a friend and like a sibling or something like that. For
0: sure. You would definitely have to sit down and like actually think about it and what right. makes, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think like, I would say one difference is that like, whether or not you like your sibling, they're still your siblings. So right. You
0: don't, you don't have, have a don't choice have to
1: be your friend.
0: Yeah. yeah. But- right. I I was actually listening to another podcast and um, this person had, I think like 11 siblings. Um, and yeah, he's one, he's 12. So he's like, you know, I'm way closer with a lot of my friends than I am with some of my siblings, but I still love them. They're still my sibling. I think that's like, it's almost one of those things that short of like, you know, short of you, Brandon, doing something, I don't even know what you would have to do, but it's unconditional. I almost feel like it's like a family love is like unconditional love is the word I'm looking for. It's like, you would have to do something so heinous for me to like, and even then, I think I would probably still love you. I would just be able to be, have to be like, I'm so sorry, I can't have you in my life. Like, you know, right, you did right. this, but I think I would still have love for you.
1: Oh, right, and it would be like somber, and it would be sad. Right. Like it would Feel like you lost something like, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I think, whereas, but I, I do think that, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about friends is they're not like that. Right,
0: you choose <laughs> uh, it. And you know what, that same podcast he said, it's just like you wake up every day saying you're in a relationship a romantic relationship a marriage you wake up every day and you choose it you can choose to leave you can choose just like friendships you we wake up every day and you nurture them and we ask how each other's doing we make sure they know we're there and we care and like if something's different we always want to say like you know you communicate and you choose it because if you don't it's going to be gone
1: right i think for me moving from chicago to california although i wouldn't say that like they're not my like you know friends and some like memory sense i do think it's sad i mean it's just what happens when you move far away but i have lost a lot of friends like i we don't check in on each other really anymore we see each other like maybe once or twice a year but anyway i mean yeah i think and i'm bad at nurturing friendships especially long distance
0: well and honestly a lot of that too the distance doesn't help for sure but once you get older like your friendships really change and i was actually it's it's funny that i was thinking about you saying friendships and and likeness and like how you're alike and I think about Amelia. Okay. My point. I think about Amelia, she's five for her friendship is entirely based around if they like the same things, if she has, if she sees a little girl at the playground and they're on the monkey bars, they're friends. Like if they want to play princesses, they're friends. Like it's entirely based around that. And I think a lot of those friendships, that's, what's so hard about like childhood friendships or just even friendships when you're 20 versus when you're 30, because at 20, you were into a lot of different things. And when you, grow up when you get older things change and life changes and your values might change and it's just part of growing up unfortunately like it's just how it happens so even though the distance doesn't the distance definitely adds a layer for you it's still just part of life and it's you know it stinks but yeah
1: yeah And it is sad, but I think it's it's good that it's sad. You lost something important, right? You know, like that's true. You know, like I think we're we're so afraid of being sad sometimes, but sometimes like sadness can show you, like yeah, I mean, it's important to, it's almost a way of like respecting like what you had in a way.
0: Right, that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah, I like that.
1: Um, so I do wanna wanna get back. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So they've you know said that you know those who are alike are not friends insofar as they are alike. And so Socrates is now going to consider another piece of wisdom. Um, and like, yeah, like I was saying, these, these pieces of wisdom, these like, sort of like popular adages in a way, like they disagree with each other. So Socrates considers the advice of another famous Athenian, um, Hesiod, who wrote Works and Days. And so according to Hesiod, potter is angry with potter, poet with poet, and beggar with beggar. Socrates generalizes this point by saying that, perhaps, those things which are alike are enemies insofar as they are alike and are friends with their opposites insofar as they are opposites. So maybe, you know, the poor, he says, is supposed to be friends, is forced to be friends with the rich, and the weak is forced to be friends with the strong, and the sick is forced to be friends with the doctor, so that one can benefit the other. According to Socrates, Hesiod also claimed that, really, ultimately, everything desires its opposite by nature. And Lysis thinks this account sounds fine at first, and agrees that we should say that the opposite is the friend of the opposite, and that, you know, as the saying goes, opposites attract. So Socrates worries. He says, like, you know, wouldn't an argumentative person be quick to point out that the, like, being an enemy, or enmity, I can't say this word, enmity, is the opposite of friendship. So you know, the enemy would have to be the friend of the friend, and the friend would have to be the friend of the enemy in this situation. And it doesn't seem like just the, like, like the just person would want to be friends with the unjust person, since nobody, not even the just person or the unjust person, wants to be like, the victim of injustice. Like Again, nobody wants to be friends with someone who's like, really bad. So, it seems like friends aren't friends insofar as they're alike, but neither are they friends insofar as they're opposites. And Socrates, this is the most complicated point so far, he considers that there's a third option, that maybe the friend is neither good nor bad, but becomes the friend of someone good. In this case, we wouldn't say that the neither good nor bad person can benefit uh, from the good person. Or sorry, that we wouldn't say that the neither good nor bad person cannot benefit from the good person. So now Socrates is going to go on a weird argument to demonstrate that there are such things as neither good nor bad things, and that neither good nor bad things can still get better. Uh, and so. He says there are three things. There's the good, the bad, and the neither good nor bad. The good is not the friend to the good, and the bad is not a friend to the bad. We've already established that. So the only possibility is that the neither good nor bad is friend to the good, the bad, or the neither good nor bad. But the neither good nor bad cannot be a friend to the bad, since nobody wants to be a friend to the bad. However, neither can the neither good nor bad be a friend to the neither good nor bad insofar as they are neither good nor bad because then they'd be a friend to the like insofar as they are alike, and we've already dismissed that. So the only option is that neither the good nor the bad, or the person who's neither good nor bad must be a friend to the good. Now Socrates considers the case of a sick person and their doctor. The healthy person wouldn't be a friend to the doctor because it have no need of the doctor. But on the contrary, the sick person would be a friend to a doctor but sickness is a bad thing. However, the body that is sick is neither good nor bad. So the neither good nor bad thing is forced to be a friend to the good thing when the neither good nor bad thing has something bad in it. <laughs> so in other words, a neutral thing with something bad in it is a friend to the good thing, and in particular, to the thing that can make, the, make better the bad thing. So Socrates' argument gets a little tricky here. He identifies two kinds of things. On the one hand, there are things that are of the same sort as what it is present with, and there are things that are not of the same sort as what it is present with. This distinction is kind of obscure, but we can look at his example, and for what it's worth, Lysis doesn't understand what the heck he's talking about at first either. <laughs> so basically, Socrates points out that if you dye your hair white, then it will only appear to be white, but it will actually still be brown or whatever color your hair is. However, when you age and your hair turns white, it both appears white and is white. So when old age introduces the presence of whiteness, then the color will be the same sort as what is present with it, for your hair will be white by the presence of it. Now Socrates points out that things do not always stand this way, such as when you dye your hair. Sometimes things can be present with things, but not in the same sort as those things. So we can conclude that the neither good nor bad thing, the neutral thing, is sometimes made bad by the things present in it, Namely, when those things are of the same sort as an neither good nor bad thing. But sometimes the neither good nor bad thing only appears bad, or isn't yet of the same sort as the thing present with it. And now, when the neither good nor bad thing is present with something bad, but it is not actually itself bad, but only appears bad, the presence of the bad thing makes it desire the good thing. I think this point, although maybe a little difficult to follow, is a pretty compelling account of desire. For I think he's sort of really say, sort of saying that like when you're when you're too far gone or when you're really totally rotten and wicked, you don't necessarily desire to get better and I think to put this another way, and I think like to make it more of like a logical statement, if something did desire to get better or when someone does desire to change something bad about themselves into something good, I think we think that that's like noble or we think they're not like totally bad yet, like as long as they're still like you know, not just like having some vague aspiration, but like, you know, wanting and working towards getting better. We, we don't want to say that they're, they're totally bad yet. But the totally bad person you know, revels in their badness. Um, and so Socrates gives an example of this sort of thing. So he says, according to this argument, um, those who are wise would not love wisdom, but neither would those who are ignorant, who are so ignorant that they're bad and stupid since people totally reveling in their stupidity don't want to become wise. But those who are present with ignorance, those who have some ignorance, but are not yet made totally bad by it, desire to know and have wisdom. In this way, only those who are neither good nor bad desire wisdom, while those who are good and those who are bad do not desire wisdom, the former because they have no need of it, and the latter because they're too far gone in their stupidity. And I think that this is sort of an interesting point. Like only you have to be like kind of you have to be ignorant, but like wanting to to know or in order to like want to be wise if that makes if that makes sense like if if you knew everything you wouldn't need to learn anything right Um, so socrates and lysis conclude that the person whose soul is neither good nor bad but is with the presence of something bad is the friend of the good (laughs) and at first socrates and lysis are happy with this they're satisfied and feel like they succeeded in their effort. But Socrates suddenly realizes that all is not so well. And that's uh, where I'll end the, the lysis so far. But I do want to sort of reflect on this. And I think this isn't exactly what you were saying, but I think we're getting closer to what you were saying, where someone who is not necessarily like a perfect paragon of virtue, but also isn't like evil, It's like a, you know, a pretty neutral person. They have things that are bad about themselves in them. They have needs maybe, they have desires, they have flaws. You know, this is a truism. Nobody's perfect, you live and you learn it. Hannah Montana said so. (laughs) (laughs) um, And I think that this account of friendship is sort of saying that the person who is bad or who's neither good nor bad desires to be friends with someone who is a paragon of virtue. And I think we can already tell that maybe this isn't complete because like there aren't really such people. But what we can get from this, I think, is that maybe the people we look for and friends are the people who maybe either improve our flaws or at least like help mitigate them or like who are like compatible with our flaws in a way.
0: I think when people. Right. I was just going to say that. Yeah. yeah. Like they they're really strong in areas that we may think that we need to improve or that we, you know, lack a little bit, you know, you can look up to somebody. I think admiration is a very. um, Important thing, you know, to have when you're talking about any relationship, you know, you want to admire the people that you're surrounding yourself with. And that's not to say that they don't have flaws of their own that you also may not love about them, but you, you know, you love them as a whole. I think that's just part of the human experience. You know, nobody's all good or all bad. Everybody has really, you know, good strengths and maybe some things that they're trying to work on. I think the important thing is that they are trying to work on the areas that maybe aren't so good.
1: Yeah. And I think that, I think another mark is like, and this isn't necessarily what Plato says, but I, I think it's also like, you have to be able to, I think, tolerate your your friends you know flaws (laughs) um and i think that they have to be able to tolerate yours and i think that one way that so now we see that we've got this sort of combination of like the opposites attract and the birds of a feather flock together because in a way you know you and your friends are different you have maybe different flaws and you should have different flaws because then you can fill each other's like weaknesses you can help each other out like they can look to you for strength where they're not strong that sort of thing but also i think that you have to both be wanting at least this is what socrates is saying you might you have to be alike in the sense that you both like have to be wanting to to get better or at least like want maybe you don't have to be trying to become a perfect person. I think that this is sort of unreasonable. And I don't think anybody is really trying that these days. (laughs) But I do think you at least have to be like trying to make your flaws,
0: like not so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Right, that's what I'm saying. Like you just, I think like, just always being willing, even, even if somebody because some people are more so like, you know me, I'm like all gung ho. Like when I get into something, I'm like, I am all about self growth. I'm all about like, you know, learning and growing. And even if somebody is not like that, like I have a friend who um, is not necessarily as vocal about it, but whenever something presents itself and somebody gives her some sort of like feedback, she's always willing and open to hear that. Like just because she's not actively like all about it. She's also, she's still willing to hear and learn and grow when the opportunity presents itself. So there's different levels of it, but yeah, I think it's just, you always have to be willing to look to the future and, you know, do your best. Yeah. Just doing my best.
1: When I, and I actually, so far, I, I do want to think, I want to point out one, maybe like objection to this argument of Socrates, which, um you know, it's scary objecting to Plato, but I do think that <laughs> it's also the case that I have friends where we're friends because we have similar flaws. And I think both of us want to be improving these flaws. So there's that, but Like, you know, maybe like, so for instance, I get anxious and I think like there is definitely something to having friends who also struggle with what you struggle with so that like you feel like, you know, if you're feeling anxious, you can talk to them about it and they will know what you're going through. Like they, and I, and I also think like it's easier to have patience for something like that when you know what it's like to go through it.
0: And hundred percent. Yeah. It's like so nice to have somebody who's going through similar things as you in life, because life is hard and things are hard anxiety is hard whatever you're, you're dealing with is always hard and it's just so nice to have somebody who gets it and can validate you and you can talk about it and it just makes it 10 times easier to get through
1: yeah and i think maybe not directly after this dialogue but one person i want to i also want to discuss is aristotle aristotle being plato's student in the nicomachean ethics aristotle has a brilliant really famous chapter on friendship where he sort of responds to all these problems that plato introduces um, and so probably not right after because we've been talking about friendship so much, but eventually I do want to get to that. Cause I think I keep finding myself thinking like, well, like, you know, Aristotle would say, and then I, I think, um, you know, I just love Aristotle, but anyway, uh, I do think that that's, that's basically all I have, uh, for this episode. Sorry for taking a month to get it out. Uh,
0: yeah, bear with us, but thanks for listening.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Bye.